1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. Real is
2: calling up your eyes. Mercy is with every sunrise. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Now the Hebrew word for look literally means consider. Sometimes we are so eager to see what God will do that we don't stop to consider what He is doing, and thus we miss God's direction for today. Look around you in your life and notice what God is up to in your present. Don't always be thinking forward because God speaks in the now in everyday simple ways.
1: What is God revealing to you today? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he encourages you to stay in the present. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the future or in the past that we miss what's going on in the present. God has specific things that he desires for you to know about now. Not something that's way ahead of you, but something that is for this season right now. Pastor Gary urges you to spend some time with God, praying and asking Him what it is. Let the Lord speak to you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, Chapter 6, as he begins his message, Wisdom for the Crossroads.
2: So last week we were in chapter 6 of Jeremiah, and some of you might be thinking we haven't gone very far, we're still here in chapter 6, and that is true. That's because I just kept sensing this nudging from the Lord during the week about a particular verse here in Jeremiah 6, verse 16. So if I can draw your attention, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Well, as we look here this morning at Jeremiah 6:16, 6, I want to talk to you today about what to do when you're at a crossroads. All of us will face moments in life when critical decisions must be made. Times when different roads intersect and you need to figure out which way to go and what to do. Making the right decision when you're at a crossroads can mean the kind of rest for your souls that this verse speaks about. On the other hand, making wrong decisions when you're at a crossroads in life can have either short-term or long-term ramifications depending on the seriousness of the matter at hand. So it's important that we make decisions wisely and seek the wisdom of the Lord when we're at a crossroads in our life. Now before I deal with that in a practical sense from Jeremiah 6:16, 6, I first want to give us the historical background so we have the context and the perspective of what Jeremiah is writing about here. The people of Judah are at a crossroads. That's why he uses that word here in verse 16. It's figurative language that means that they're at a critical point of decision the result of which will have far-reaching implications. The choice before them is whether they turn from their idolatry and rebellion against God or whether they stay the course and suffer the consequences for it. So God lays out some wisdom for them here in Jeremiah 6.16, urging them to make the right decision, giving them counsel from above, and telling them that if they would make the right decision and choose the right path, they will have rest for their souls. But unfortunately, the part of verse 16 I didn't read says that the people said in response, we're not going to walk in it. Again, at the end of the verse, when God says to them, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, you will find rest for your souls. The end of the verse says, but you said... We will not walk in it. They just outright refused to walk in the wisdom and counsel of God that they might have rest for their souls. Furthermore, verse 17, if you still have your Bibles open, verse 17 says, I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. In other words, God is referring to the prophets as watchmen. God sent prophets to warn the people, to sound the alarm. But again, verse 17 at the end says, but you said, we will not listen. So not only does God give them wisdom for how to choose the right path, He gives them warnings in advance about what's going to happen if you don't choose the right path. But every time, the people were like, well, thanks anyway, but we're not going to walk the path and we're not going to listen to the warnings. So they didn't receive the wisdom of God, they didn't heed the warning of God, and as a result, they brought disaster upon themselves. That's what also it tells us here in this chapter. Look at verse 18. It says, Therefore, hear, O nations, observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. In other words, God even broadcasts this to the nations. He says, Here's what's going to happen to my people, because they have forsaken my wisdom and rejected the warnings I've given them in advance. Verse 19, Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. We jump further down to verse 22. This is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. They are armed with bow and spear. They are cruel and show no mercy. They sound like the roaring sea as they ride on their horses. They come like men in battle formation to attack you, O daughter of Zion. So we talked about this last week. Here's the map that I used last week. The region we're talking about here is the southern part of Israel, which is called Judah at this time in their history, on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. The nation that God is going to use is Babylonia to bring discipline to the people whom he loves. Babylonia is located between the Tigris and Euphrates River in what is today modern Iraq. And God will bring the Babylonians along the Euphrates River down from Syria from the north, down to attack Judah, and over a period of 20 years, from 606 B.C. to 586 B.C., Babylonia will launch this campaign against Judah, and in 586 B.C., they will subdue the capital city of Jerusalem. And the people have brought this upon themselves, all because they rejected the wisdom of God and the warnings of God. So that's the historical background to our verse here. But now I want us to back up to verse 16, and I want us to look at it from a practical standpoint. I kind of want to rise up 30,000 feet and and look at the overview of verse 16 and ask the broader question. And the broader question is this. What do you do when you're at a crossroads in your life? All of us will from time to time be like this guy, just standing at a crossroads of life, having to make some critical decision, that can impact life in big and small ways. And sometimes the choice will be clear and obvious. And other times the choice will not be as clear as obvious and and obvious. And trying to make the decision and trying to discern the will of God will sometimes be painful and even paralyzing. But I believe that contained here within verse 16 is some practical wisdom from God, to help us make right decisions when we find ourselves at a crossroads so that we can find rest for our souls. How many of you could use a little more rest for your souls? Let me just see your hands. Yeah, I mean, all of us could say that because we live in a very high stress, high paced area of the world. Life gets busy. Life gets cluttered. Oh, that we might have a little more rest for our souls. So one of the things that infringes most upon rest for our souls is when we're making unwise decisions. It's when we come to a crossroads and we're not making a decision with the wisdom from above and we're rushing into things and we're doing things that later we will regret. And so I think it's good for us to look at verse 16 from the practical standpoint of how can we glean some wisdom from above so that when we are standing at a, at a crossroad in our life, we might have God's wisdom and find rest for our souls. So here's verse 16 again. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There are four directives that God gives us here in verse 16, when we are at a crossroads. And and it's taken basically from the different verbs that you see in this verse. The first one I want to highlight is the word stand. The word stand. God is telling us here that when we're at a crossroads, first thing we need to do is stand at the crossroads. Now, let me just state the obvious, and so you can thank me later, like, okay, Captain Obvious, thanks for pointing this out. But when we hear the word stand, when God's directive is stand at the crossroads, please note, standing is not running. Standing is not walking. Standing is not sitting. Standing is being still. And it's holding your position right where you are. The Hebrew word here for the word stand is the Hebrew word amad. And amad means to abide, to endure, or to remain. It has the connotation of a certain steadfastness, of an immovability. It has the idea of being unhurried. And tied together, I believe that this word itself is a warning to us about not rushing into something. Just stand there, stand still. When you don't know what to do, stay right where you are. There's never a sense when you read the Bible that Jesus is ever hurried or in a rush, ever. He is measured, He is disciplined, He is deliberate. We need to learn that for ourselves. We need to learn to be still sometimes. We need to slow it way down and not make any rash decisions. There are a few examples in the Bible of people who were so slow that they actually missed something that God was doing. But that's rare. Most often in the Bible, you see example after example after example of people who ran ahead of God, who got way out in front of Him, took matters into their own hands, made hasty decisions, and then hoped that God would just bless it after the fact. You see example after example after example. A few come to mind. For example, Abraham. The whole Abraham and Sarah and Hagar debacle... Okay. You know, God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, I know you're old, but I'm, but it's going to be a greater miracle because your body is as good as dead. But yet out of you, you're going to have a descendant and your descendants, a child of the promise and your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the heavens. So just wait, because one day you and your wife, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Okay. And they'd never had babies. And 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 now they're up there in years. Okay, they're drawing Social Security. Their driver's license has been taken away from them. I mean, they're up there. And yet, and yet, they're like, tick tock, tick tock, and he looks at Sarah like, Sarah, you know, you're no spring chicken anymore. And we gotta hurry this along. We gotta help God out. And Sarah's like, you know what? You know what we ought to do? Because no baby's happening. This has been a few years now. And so what you need to do is you need to take my maidservant Hagar, and you need to sleep with her, and maybe the child of the promise will come through Hagar. Now, and Abraham at the time is about 90. So he's like, okay, sounds like a good idea to me. What are, you, what are you doing, Abe? Don't, don't mess up God's plan. That isn't God's plan. He said you and Sarah, your wife. But never he rushes into it and Ishmael is born. And what, that's today what we call the Middle East conflict. I mean, it is. You look at the history of the Jewish people and the descendants of Ishmael. You have the Middle East conflict. All because a guy decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to help God. Don't ever try to help God. God doesn't need our help. You look at a similar thing with Moses. You know, Moses is raised up in the court of Pharaoh, having been saved from the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter. So he's raised in Pharaoh's palace, a child of privilege, but he knows he's a Hebrew. He knows he's a Jew and he sees his fellow Hebrews being mistreated as slaves in Egypt. And and so he decides, I'm going to try to help my fellow Hebrew people by killing an Egyptian who's uh, brutally treating one of my Hebrew brothers. So he kills the Egyptian, thinking nobody can see. By the way, God sees everything, right? Okay. Then he buries the Egyptian in sand. In sand. (laughs) He's just like, nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever know. I mean, the wind blows. So the Egyptian, you know, this hand sticking up out of the ground, and people are like, "Hey, Moses killed this guy. Now Moses is on the run, and for forty more years, he's going to live his life in the backside of the wilderness of Midian." Now, he, was he God's deliverer for the Hebrew people? Yes, he was, and he knew he was. But he prematurely thought that if I just kill one, what if I kill one Egyptian at a time, I'll eventually kill them all. What are you thinking? You have to wait on God's timing. And so he took matters into his own hands and tried to help God, and it was another mess. Until 40 years later, God had matured him, God had prepared him, and then God could use him. You see the same nonsense happening in the New Testament. So Judas, one of the 12 apostles, hangs himself after he betrayed Jesus. The disciples are in the upper room in the book of Acts. They're supposed to just, the instruction Jesus gave was you just wait for the promise my Father has promised you. just wait for the holy spirit that's all you're supposed to do just pray and wait and they get together and like anybody has some cards and some dice you, you, you anybody and so they start they, you know what they decide we got to replace judas so anybody got some dice we're going to roll some dice and we're going to try to figure out who should be judas's replacement god never asked him to do that what are they doing we need to help god out we need to replace judas no god never told you to do that so they roll the dice you know they like they think they're at vegas they're rolling the dice And and then they choose a guy named Matthias. We never hear about that guy ever again in all of the Bible or in church history. Because he probably wasn't God's choice. Paul was the guy that God wanted to choose later. You see, in the book of Thessalonians, the people thought, well, God is going to come soon, so we might as well quit our jobs and not work. And Paul has to come along and say, hey, listen, Bernie Sanders, if a man doesn't work, he shall not eat. And so... And so they're like, oh, I guess we gotta work. I guess we gotta actually work. And so we, we, we wanna wait for the return of Christ, but we, we can't take matters into our own hands. Yeah. Work while you wait. Okay? So here's the situation. Many of us tend to just rush ahead of God and, and think that we're doing God a a favor, when in reality, God just wants us to stand still. Just stand. Don't run. Don't walk. Stand is the first directive here. Be still stand you want to get wisdom from above god's not going to chase you down god wants you to stand there and be still in his presence what did david say in psalm 37 7 be still before the lord and wait patiently for him in psalm 45 46 verse 10 be still and know that i am god standing still is not inaction. We sometimes think, if I'm not doing something, I'm not making progress. Standing still is not inaction, not for the Christian. Standing still is a plan of action because you're waiting on the Lord for the next step. Don't be afraid just to stand still and wait. We need to learn the art and the discipline of standing still and just waiting on the Lord. Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, 4, since ancient times, no, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. But see, we have a hard time waiting and standing still because our culture has kind of conditioned us that everything is supposed to happen at rapid fire. And so if we don't get things the way we want it now, something's wrong. And so we're not even conditioned anymore how to stand still. McDonald's Corporation did a study three years ago because they were hearing complaints from people that the drive-through was taking too long. So three years ago, the McDonald's Corporation did a study in South Florida based on this complaint. Okay, now, what they discovered was that the average weight... At the drive through McDonald's, from the time that you gave your order in the box to the time you got your food and drove off, average weight before this study, three minutes and nine and a half seconds. (laughs) Is that like something to complain about? How quickly do you need a heart attack? You know, I really need some grease in less than three minutes because I really want to raise my cholesterol. And by the way, I love McDonald's. I'm not bashing McDonald's. <laughs> Friends, listen, if you're going to go to heaven, just go happy that, with, <laughs> with a happy meal. That's my motto. But anyway, uh, so they're, they're like, oh, this is ridiculous. Three minutes and nine and a half seconds. We can't make people wait this long. So they commissioned a study because here's their goal. To this day, McDonald's Corporation has a goal. From the time you give your order in the box till you drive off with your food, 60 seconds. That's their goal, because if it's longer than that, people are like, I'm, I can't believe this, I'm, I'm getting out of line. And that's what people do, 60 seconds. Now listen, I, I and I say this with all sincerity, I, I pity this generation, because this generation has not learned what it means to wait. This generation, and so here's how it translates, you don't learn how to wait now in life, so you don't know how to wait on God. So I'm thankful that, you know, in the days I was growing up, you know, we had to learn to wait. We had to wait for stuff. Just, you had to wait. And it was, it was normal. So we didn't know any different. We just had to actually wait, okay? So how many of you remember that you ha- in order to take a picture, you had to actually load a camera with film? <laughs> I, I know it sounds absolutely d- ridiculous, but that's what you had to do. Today, you're just like, oh, oh selfie, oh, and print it in like 30 seconds you know, you know, wirelessly to your, to your printer. But back in the day, you actually had this little device called a camera. You had to open the back of the camera. You had to go to your local drugstore and buy spools of film that were usually like 24 pictures or 36 pictures at a time. And then you had to load the back of your camera, drop that film in, and then you had to pull that film all the way over to the other side And then you had to loop it. And sometimes it was tricky. wouldn't always catch the first time. So you had to re-loop it over and over again and then wind it. And you don't want to wind it too much because if you wind it too much, now you're going to start to expose the film. So you just wind it a little bit, shut the lid, hope that it took. (laughs) And then you actually would take a picture and not know if it worked. (laughs) I hope that worked. How many of you got film developed that had a finger across the lens? How many of you ever said, yeah. Because you didn't even know that your finger was across the lens. And then if you were taking the picture at nighttime, you had a little cube, a little uh, flash, you know, flash bulb cube. That had four, because it had four sides to it. So you had to put it, you know, put it down on top of your camera. It was only good for four pictures. And then, and then sometimes you'd load it and accidentally press the button and off it would go on your face. And to remove the thing was like third degree burns. I mean, it was like terrible. And then, and then here's what would typically happen. You take pictures like at Christmas time, and you take like 12 or 15, but you're not using the whole 36. And so guess what happens? It would just sit on your shelf until like summer vacation. And then you pick it back up, take some summer vacation pictures. And then next Christmas, you'd still have some room on the film. So you take some more pictures and then you'd go. And then when it was all done, you have to carefully rewind. Is anybody already tired? (laughs) You have to rewind the whole thing, take the spool out, go to your drugstore, drop it in an envelope that the sticky thing never worked. So you're dropping it in a hole thinking, I hope these precious pictures come back to me. And then you have like three years of Christmas on it, and it's amazing, and fingers all through it, overexposure and double exposure. Oh, those were the good old days. But we had to learn to wait for those things. You'd wait years for pictures. People would die before their pictures would be developed. <laughs> but at least you learned how to wait. And now today, people don't really know how to wait. And so they're like, God, I, I, I can't believe you don't work as fast as, as the drive through at McDonald's. What is wrong with you? And so we don't want to be still, and we don't want to stand still. But often God will speak to us if we stand still long enough for us to hear him. Well, let's not wait any longer. Let's move on to point number two. And let me highlight the word look. The word look. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Now the Hebrew word for look literally means consider. Sometimes we're so eager to see what God will do that we don't stop to consider what He is doing. And thus we miss God's direction for today. Look around you in your life and notice what God is up to in your present. Don't always be thinking forward because God speaks in the now, in everyday simple ways.
1: Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Jeremiah. Known as the Weeping Prophet, he was only 20 years old when he began his prophetic life. Though not specifically mentioned, it is believed he would have followed the life of a pastor, and because of his young age, he was not always well-received. No doubt this influenced his writings, and because of their heavy and often negative tone, he earned his title as the Weeping Prophet. However, this did not stop him and he went on to prophesy the many truths that the people of Jerusalem needed to hear. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10 and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to the weeping prophet Jeremiah today on Cornerstone Connection.
2: You know